Um, let me introduce myself. My name is Mandy Litsky, and um, today we're going to talk a um, little bit about trauma, the effects that trauma has on our brain, and mostly gear on how to help children or individuals who have unrepaired trauma um, walk through the healing process and how we can help repair some of that damage. Um, before I tell you more about me, let me just kind of get an idea of who we have in the room. Um, raise your hand if you don't mind, if you are parents. Awesome. Um, how about um, in education, teachers? Awesome. And how about ministry leaders or Sunday school um, in that field? Okay. Did I miss anybody? Anything? No. Okay. Oh, forgot that one. Thank you for the social workers, and thank you for being here with us. So, um, yes, and for social workers. Well, again, welcome. I'm Mandy Litsky, and um, we're just going to talk. I'm going to dive in. We're going to talk a little bit about um, our subject at hand, and then we're just going to go through, and somebody can help me watch our time. I think we have till 2, right? And... Um, and then when we have the break and we come back, we're just going to pick up and go forward. We are cramming a lot in. Talking about trauma in and of itself takes up way more than two hours in a day, right? Um, but also so that you understand how I relate to it, um, I feel that it's important and I've been asked that I share a little bit of my story and how I connect with trauma um, and why it resonates so deeply in my heart to um, be available and to educate ourselves and to increase our empathy and our understanding of trauma. So I told you my name, I'm Mandy Litsky, and um, I, how I am a child of God first and foremost. I am a wife and a mom to many, 17 to be exact. Um, 15 of our blessings was brought to us through adoption. God saw fit to grow our family through adoption. Um, we have a total of 17. Two of our precious children now reside in heaven and are fully whole and fully healed. Um, many of our kiddos that came to us, um, most of them came from hard places. And when I say hard places, I mean have experienced trauma, have experienced adverse circumstances in their life. And so um, when I talk about um, all the things that I am teaching you. It's because I have dedicated my life to a life of learning and understanding trauma, not only for my children, but also for myself. Um, you might, when you look at my name, you will not see credentials behind my name or, or initials. But if there was an initial behind my name for why I am qualified to lead this class, it would be um, FE field experience and by that I mean first and foremost that I am former foster youth. I spent time as a child um, in the foster care system. A vulnerable child seeking for safety, seeking for consistency, seeking for um, just family and hope. The second thing that qualifies me is um, what God has called me to do in parenting my children. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more of my story in a few minutes that helps connect a few of the pieces. But um, one of the things that I have found that God does 
is when we walk through healing, when God heals the wounds, He often leaves the scars. And I believe that He leaves the scars first as a reminder to us of His faithfulness, of His love for us, that Jeremiah 129, He who created us had a plan and a purpose for us, and nothing that the enemy will do with the war, His plans. Amen? Um, so I believe those scars will serve as our reminder, our Ebenezer's of His faithfulness, and I also believe that God wants to, if we will surrender and let Him, use those scars as agent, as um, healing agents of healing in the lives of others that He puts in our path and He entrusts in our care. Rather, that's through a child that we bring into our home through foster care or adoption. Rather, it's through the kiddos that sit in your Sunday school class or in your classroom at school or that you care for um, through, um, you know, as a social worker. And so that's exactly what God has done in my life. He has asked me and to surrender as he heals in my life to um, use my story and use my wounds and scars as um, agents of healing. Um, my story begins in um, a small town of Georgia, y'all. <laughs> oh good, you're awake. You're not asleep after lunch. That's awesome. Um, small town of Georgia where I was born into a family suffering from um, extreme poverty, alcoholism, drug addiction, thus resulting in severe form of neglect abuse of every kind and our family portrait was not a family portrait of happiness and hope but out of desperation and despair and my mother had entered into a second marriage um, when I believe that was out of um, out of fear and necessity her first husband had who I believe is my father um, <coughs> walked out on her the very day that she told him that she was pregnant with me and he said, abort the child or I walk. I had two older brothers. My mother, the first miracle of my life, chose life for me. And my mother soon found herself a single poor mother of two and one on the way of children. And now remarried to my stepfather, his vices created intense circumstances in our family and his vices would eventually lead to the destruction of our family and total dismay. Um, every day for my mother was a day to um, provide for us, to protect, and to survive herself. Um, and then one particular day started out like any other day in my home and in my family. And the violence started and this particular day my mother would no longer have the strength or the stamina to survive all the struggle would have taken her toll on her life and the violence would take her life right before my very eyes it was believed to be about a day and a half later when the authorities were notified and they arrived in our home and they found my mother's body beaten and strangled. And over in a corner, they found a shivering, abandoned, beaten little girl, ever so fearful to be touched, but so desperate 
to be loved and nurtured. I would then be taken into um, custody of Family Children's Services. I would receive the wonderful title, um, Ward of the State, and enter into what we know as the foster care system. And what you need to understand is that everywhere I went, so did everything that I had seen, everything I had experienced, everything I had heard. And so my story begins like any other when I came into this world, like any other life, full of hope and expectancy, full of um, just... Um, all the good things that you want for a child. But unfortunately, because of the circumstances that I had endured, everywhere I went, so did what I had endured, so what did what I had endured. Because trauma and these experiences are not checked at the gate, but they are baggage that we take with us. I don't like that word, but for the sake of this illustration, that's why I use it. For you see, my life started like every other child and all the hopes and the dreams, but then every time that I would enter into fight, flight, or freeze coping mechanism, every time that I would be deprived of necessary food and water, it would affect my development, it would affect me physically. Every time that I would be removed from a home, and put into another one and consistency was disrupted once again and I would often lie awake wondering if my actions of the day would merit my next move. So I kept a bag handy under the bed ready to go if that were the case. Because see kiddos that have experienced intense trauma oftentimes react, most times react from everything that they have endured because what we will learn today is that trauma not only affects us physically and emotionally, but it affects our development, it affects us mentally. And so, too often, when these children arrive in our homes, arrive at our doorstep, arrive in our Sunday school classes, arrive in our um, school classrooms, or in a, if we're really honest, even in our churches sometimes, Sometimes, far too long, they've been expected to arrive at the door with a thank you note saying, hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for opening up your home and letting me be here. When in reality, they're not really sure what to think or know. They're just merely surviving. <coughs> but where I'm going to jump to, that, because I'm not going to tell our, my complete story is, the great news is that just as I said, he who created me with a plan and a purpose will take it. You know, what he started, he will take it to completion. And thank the good Lord that he does not leave us here. Amen? But he restores and he redeems and he heals. And I'm so grateful for that today. I eventually um, would find my forever home and I would be adopted first in, um, here and to a forever family. Praise God. And all of that was, is a story of miracles. And then, most importantly, I would be adopted into the family of God. And I would learn the greatest love ever given. And I would begin the path of healing. Um, and one of, when I was transitioning from homes, I had to go back to the town where um, I was born to retrieve files in the hospital. 
And as I walked back um, that long hallway in the hospital, there was um, a black nurse at the back of the um, back of the hallway. She fully white. That probably tells how old I am because they don't wear white anymore, right? Um, and she was standing back there. And as I walked through, she, her eyes caught mine. And she never looked at my soon-to-be adoptive mother. She just kept her eyes on me. And as I walked down there and, and our eyes locked, she said, again, eyes on me, is this Mandy? And my foster mom, soon-to-be adoptive mother, said, why, yes, do you know Mandy? And she said, I would know those eyes anywhere. I treated her time and time again never believing that she would survive. But for the first time, these little eyes have hope and are alive and healing. What has happened to this little girl named Mandy? Well, my mother who loved the Lord incredibly much and now is with him, said to her, oh, let me tell you her story and what God is doing in her life. And you know, back then, that is not a place that um, we did not have all the trauma-informed care that we have now in the instruction. I joke and I like to say that my mom and dad had James Dobson and had their church community, praise God, for a loving church community that surrounded my parents through the hard. And they had the book, the book of Jesus Christ, his, his love letter to us. And when we learn about trauma and when we talk about what it does to our brain and what it does to our bodies and how it affects both in every way, including our relationships, I never ever want us to forget that we always need to go first and foremost back to the book that Jesus has written to us of grace and mercy and love. And so I always um, want to just make sure I say that because I'm a believer of that. My parents didn't have all of this, but the Lord was faithful to lead them to begin my healing. And so now I want us to just kind of shift over, and I want us to watch a video here. The first one is going to be very informative, and it's going to talk about trauma and the brain. Um, and I, have, I don't have a lot of handouts for you, but I will have a couple of... Um, handouts that I have available that if you want to snap a picture or maybe when we get done I can grab some copies um, but I kind of decided to grab them at the last minute so sometimes I talk a little fast or if I'm going through notes to make sure I get it precise just raise your <coughs> hand or find me afterwards and I'll repeat it okay alright so for the first one um, we're gonna start it's gonna give us a little instruction about trauma and the brain Feeling irritable or moody, forgetting little things, and feeling overwhelmed and oh, isolated? Do Don't worry, we've all been there. You're probably just stressed out. Stress isn't always a bad thing. It can be handy for a burst oh, of... Oh, lordy. Do we just push the button? Yeah, or it, do we have the clicker for the projector? No. Which one is yeah, the... This here? Yeah. Okay. And what do I need to do? Do you know, Ashley? I think you can just push the button... Yeah, you could, if you point it and, oh, there, it doesn't. If you know, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. This one is not familiar to me. Mm. It doesn't have it on that. So it does. There you go. You got it. Okay, let me try now. I do have the clicker. Focus, like when you're playing a competitive sport, you yeah. have to speak in public. 
But when it's continuous, the kind most of us face day in and day out, it actually begins to change your brain. Mandy. Yes. Can we close those yes. I think that's what's going to be a scene. That helps. A lot. Okay. So do we just have to wait till this countdown? I'm so sorry, guys. This is where you get spoiled when you have a young intern that knows how to do all this stuff. My son was helping me yesterday at home. All right, let's try this. Stress, like being overworked or having arguments at home, can affect brain size, its structure, and how it functions, right down to the level of your genes. Stress begins with something called the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis a series of interactions between endocrine glands in the brain and on the kidney, which controls your body's reaction to stress. When your brain detects a stressful situation, your HPA axis is instantly activated and releases a hormone called cortisol, which primes your body for instant action. But high levels of cortisol over long periods of time wreak havoc on your brain. For example, chronic stress increases the activity level and number of neural connections in the amygdala, your brain's fear center. And as levels of cortisol rise, electric signals in your hippocampus, the part of the brain associated with learning, memories, and stress control, deteriorate. The hippocampus also inhibits the activity of the HPA axis. So when it weakens, so does your ability to control your stress. That's not all though. Cortisol can literally cause your brain to shrink in size. Too much of it results in the loss of synaptic connections between neurons and the shrinking of your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that regulates behaviors like concentration, decision-making, judgment, and social interaction. It also leads to fewer new brain cells being made in the hippocampus. This means chronic stress might make it harder for you to learn and remember things, and also set the stage for more serious mental problems like depression and eventually Alzheimer's disease. The effects of stress may filter right down to your brain's DNA. An experiment showed that the amount of nurturing a mother rat provides its newborn baby plays a part in determining how that baby responds to stress later in life. The pups of nurturing moms turned out less sensitive to stress because their brains developed more cortisol receptors, which stick to cortisol and dampen the stress response. The pups of negligent moms had the opposite outcome, and so became more sensitive to stress throughout life. These are considered epigenetic changes, meaning that they affect which genes are expressed without directly changing the genetic code. And these changes can be reversed if the moms are swapped. But there's a surprising result. The epigenetic changes caused by one single mother rat were passed down to many generations of rats after her. In other words, the results of these actions were inheritable. It's not all bad news though. There are many ways to reverse what cortisol does to your stressed brain. The most powerful weapons are exercise and meditation, which involves breathing deeply and being aware and focused on your surroundings. Both of these activities decrease your stress and increase the size of the hippocampus, thereby improving your memory. So don't feel defeated by the pressures of daily life. Get in control of your stress before it takes control of you. So, 
What stuck out to you? Brain shrinks under stress. Brain shrinks, yes. The definitely a thing. That it's reversible. That's right, that it's reversible. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to get to my other thing here. Sorry. Cortisol. Is it a bad thing? Too much of it. Too much of it is a bad thing. Where is my drive? Oh, my word. Um, yeah, too much of it is a bad thing, and that's where we see that it can um, cause damage to our brain. Okay, my drive has disappeared, y'all. To the left. So Bear right with right, me. Bottom right-hand side. Or, well... Drive, thank you. Lord of mercy. Okay. So, when we talk about... So, when we talk about cortisol, it's not a bad thing. Can we flip on and Actually, you know what? You don't need to. Because we're going to do another video, so I don't have to go back and forth with this. We'll just have to flip some a little bit in between. So, the cortisol... When we, um, it is the steroid hormone that is released from our adrenal glands when our body is responding to fear, to stress, or to danger. So it's a natural instinct, right? Um, but what we what we've learned is the more cortisol that is released, it causes damage to the brain because it takes basically the short end of it is it occupies the space where our brain needs to grow, and so the more that we have experienced adverse um, ex adverse experiences, trauma, toxic trauma in our life, the more that cortisol is released and the more damage that it has done. But what you said is exactly true. Because our brain is plastic, just like this bottle here, in time and through the right therapies and through the right approaches and using the principles, we can reshape our brain. And when we talk about, um, as we get on a little later and talk about how our, our brain is wired and how it connects and, and so forth, we'll see of how it just, when it's working more effectively or more efficiently, then it's more effective, like it would make sense, right? So when we look at the brain here and we talk about the upstairs and the downstairs and the left and the right. so. What we need to understand first and foremost is when a child has endured tremendous stress, tremendous trauma, many times they're going to act out more because of out of fear. And what the reason for that is, is because the, because the brain is not integrated, meaning that the left and the right and the upper and the lower are all working together. So if we break down our left and right brain, our left hemisphere is what? Left side of the brain is all L's. I'll give you a hint. Logic, linear, linguistics. That's where all of the left side, that comes all from the left side. That's where our language is structured, our reasoning ability um, from our left hemisphere. When we talk about the right, we're talking about the holistic. Sorry, I'm probably standing right in the middle of your photo. When we talk about the right, we're talking about the holistic and nonverbal. Um, it's connected to our emotions, sensations, really our big feelings, our big emotions. Um, it's more intuitive and more emotional. Our left side of the brain is um, left is text, 
right is context, left is letter of the law, right is spirit of the law, right? Has anybody ever said to you, oh, I'm a left brain, I'm a right brain? Yeah. Okay, I'm definitely a right brain here. Um, and that's why all of this technology stuff sometimes overwhelms me. <laughs> um, so when a child experiences trauma, the left brain is strong, but the right brain is weak. And children struggle with emotions, sensations, and so social situations. Now if we look at the downstairs brain. Don't do this to me. Ugh, I should have changed my thing. Here we go. Now if we look at the downstairs brain, the downstairs is wired at birth and allows the newborn to meet all of their basic and primary needs. Eat, sleep, drink, stay warm, stay cool. All of those are our what? Our survival skills. Yeah. Um, the newborn reflexes and the um, basic bodily functions are rooted here in our downstairs. It's all about survival. The upstairs brain is mostly not wired, and the reason we're looking at this is because we're going to um, do our do an illustration with this in a minute. Um, the upstairs brain is mostly not wired at birth and allows us. Um, the upstairs is responsible for thinking, reasoning, learning, remembering things, regulating our emotions, and it's trained through experiences. The more experiences that we have is how um, it is formed, and it's how it's developed. It's predominantly developed by our relational interactions. And the reason that I that this is so important is as we walk through a little bit more and talking about how to repair trauma and how to work with children. Um, and again, I emphasize children a lot, but what I want you to understand is, is we're talking about children or we're talking about adults who still have unrepaired trauma and are still suffering the effects of it. But um, when we what we use through Safe Families. I'm a family coach supervisor through Safe Families of Ohio. And we have um, different objectives and one of our main objectives is to reduce, repair, and prevent trauma in a child's life. And we use the TBRI. Is anyone familiar with TBRI? Trust-Based Relational Intervention. So a lot of what you see here that we use today is um, comes from the um, TBRI practice. I should have changed this thing. It's going to drive me nuts. Um, the TBRI practice from the Connected Child, and I can give you all of these um, book names and so forth. The Connected Child through Dr. Karen Purvis of Texas um, Institute for Children, and the Whole Brain Child is another book that we use often and no drama discipline and a few others but that's the that's the biggest source of our um, training resources that we use so what i would like for you to do is we're going to walk through of what happens when a child is um, is about to burst some people call it a meltdown some people call it um, with triggers that that come in and that set them off but what is happening is, is that their brain, at that point in time, one area has taken over and the brain is not um, integrated.
So a child experienced trauma and where chronic stress and fear and anger are prominent, then the amygdala is getting a consistent workout. What did they tell us that the amygdala is? I'm so sorry, I couldn't hear you. It regulates emotion. Yeah, it's our fear center. It's our gatekeeper. So when we talk about a child and the way we refer to it through the connected child is flipping their lid. So you've got a child who is having a lot of big emotions and the downstairs is, is just trying to rupture. And it's just constantly, the emotions are growing and growing and growing. And the amygdala is trying its best to keep everything connected, right? Because when we talk about integration, that means that everything is working together. Left brain, right brain, upstairs, downstairs. And when it's not integrated properly together, then it would be like you and I trying to swim with one arm. We can do it, but it's not very effective. And what we want to prevent is not swimming in circles, right? And so we want this to work together. And when a child is having an outburst, a meltdown, has seen a trigger and something is setting it off, then the downstairs is basically hijacking the upstairs. And so emotions is taken over all logic, all reasoning, and so forth. And so it's like you and I holding on to a cliff. We hang on as long as we can, but once we let go, it's free fall, right? And that's exactly what happens to a child when they're flipping their lid. This is something that I use with my kiddos. I can say, hey, where, where are we? Let's talk before we reach that point because we can help them co-regulate and work through a situation. And we'll, we'll get to all of that in just a minute. Um, let me see if I missed anything here. Um, so when a child has experienced trauma with where chronic stress and fear and anger are prominent, the amygdala is getting a consistent workout. It's the gatekeeper or the, the fear keeper um, the downstairs, um, between the downstairs and the upstairs. This is what allows us to act before we think is our amygdala. And once we flipped our lid and once all of that is free fall, then cause and effect and reasoning is out the window at that point. Um, again, most often it is triggered by <coughs> fear or anger. Most of the time when you see anger in someone, what is the underlying emotion? Frustration. Frustration, but sometimes even beyond that is... Hurt. Hurt. Fear. Fear. And all those go together because ultimately we've been hurt. We're fearful of being hurt again. I don't want this to shut off on me again. Um, we're fearful to be hurt again, and so we react. In my life and in, in where I came from, my approach was, I'm going to hurt you before you can hurt me. And that's where many of our kiddos come from. I'll say it later, but what we need to understand is when the children who are the most desperate for love are going to show it in the most worst ways. And so what we've got to do is we've got to learn to acknowledge and understand. And what we have to ask a child is, what do you need? How can I help? Um, and we'll talk about that a little later. So if a child spends too much time being afraid in the high stress cortisol released, the brain reorganizes itself around a survival response. And I mentioned them, I think, a while ago, fight, flight, or freeze. And the downstairs brain is running the show. 
Um, it just wants to accomplish meeting its basic needs, and that at that point is survival. Um, it's not about processing, connecting, or relating at that point. So we talked about integration, and we talked about having all the parts working together. Um, so if we um, talk about examples of a left and right brain, and we talk about big emotions, um, a lot of times the, the kiddos that we serve in safe families or any of us that we are serving through our ministry or um, through education will often see the emotional flood as opposed to the emotional desert because they're driven by emotions because of all those things we mentioned well ago fear, danger, stress and all their experiences again when a child comes into our care we cannot act as if life as if the impact of the trauma has not happened we have to address it and begin working towards proactive ways of um, repairing so the next thing I want to do before we jump into we're going to talk about some different approaches of um, helping a child who is walking through this and again bear with me oh wait is that the one we just did As we develop, our brain produces 250,000 neurons every minute. By birth, we'll have 100 billion of these molecules building blocks. But in order for our brains to fully function, we'll need synaptic connections to organize and build networks. Who we become and how we function depends entirely on how these networks develop. And our interactions with others and how we've been treated determines everything. From functions like heart rate, breathing, and basic emotions, to personality, decision-making, language, social behavior, and voluntary movement. We know that severe or prolonged abuse or neglect derails that building process, even in the womb. Distress and high anxiety in the mother allows cortisol, the stress hormone, to cross the placenta and disrupt development. When the toxic stress response is activated repeatedly, brain development and even immune systems are disrupted. Research has shown that high doses of stress hormones inhibit brain function and impulse control, overbuilding the fear center and the part of the brain that's critical to emotional regulation. TBRI uses three sets of principles to begin the healing caused by toxic stress. By recreating the developmental process, TBRI strives to introduce the nurturing that was absent in those toxic situations. And for the child who has endured toxic stress, healing must begin with a sense of both physical and emotional safety, something this child may have never known. Connecting principles are designed to create and nurture healthy relationships through sensitivity, consistency, and availability to disarm fear and gain trust giving full attention using a gentle voice and kind facial expressions and body language are just a few of the ways to help build trust. Punitive and controlling responses only feed a child's mistrust and fear. Empowering principles are designed to meet physical needs, including sensory regulation, nutrition, and hydration, and strive to be aware of environmental issues, such as overstimulation by light, noise, or smells that can trigger behaviors that often leave caretakers baffled. The goal of the correcting principles is to help guide a child through day-to-day -day strategies by correcting fear-based behaviors and establishing felt safety helping a child regulate their emotions, tell their stories, and learn through playful engagement. 
The Adverse Childhood Experiences Study examined the effects of multiple types of abuse in childhood, and the staggering results showed that high doses of childhood adversity affect brain development drastically, leading to addictions, attempts at self-medication, impacted immune systems, chronic inflammation, and autoimmune diseases. The greater the number of traumatic events, the greater the damage. TBRI can help stop this ugly cycle. There is hope for the damaging effects of toxic stress, but it will take dedication, education, and most of all, understanding. How many of you are familiar with um, the A study? You can flip the lights back on for a few minutes. Sorry, didn't mean to keep you in the dark. Are any of you? Okay. Um, so when, when we talk about the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, basically what that does, and I do have a copy of it that um, if you're interested when we get done, it basically takes a score. And the higher that you score on this um, particular study with the Adverse Childhood Experiences, the higher, the higher the damage that there is. But as we've talked about and as they've reiterated to us again, there is hope. But what we need to understand, did you catch what she said? The staggering results show that high doses of childhood adversity affect the brain development drastically leading to drug addiction, attempts at self-medication, impacted immune system, chronic inflammation, and autoimmune diseases. It's no wonder that we have to know more about trauma because that basically covers a large majority of our population today. Yes? But there's hope in repairing it, and um, that's what we want to work on and focus on a little bit now today. Um, when we go back to our, to our model here, one of the things that um, we work on is connecting principles. So we want to be able to connect with the child. And as we begin to implement the healing, we implement connecting principles, nurturing. Um, in TBRI, they refer to it as high nurture, and that those who have endured trauma and stress, that's the nurturing that they've been lacking. We do that by sensitivity. Do you remember what else she said? Consistency. Consistency and availability. Sensitivity, consistency, and availability. And all of those working together help to disarm fear and to gain trust. We use presence, giving our full attention. Um, one of the ways that we do that, and we talk about it through TBR, and um, I think we touch on it a little later, is we're matching with the child. If the child is melting down and the child is have, you know, down on the floor, we get down to their level, eye level. One, because every child needs to know that they are cherished and precious and loved. They need to know that they are seen and heard. We'll talk about giving voice in a little bit. And so we get down to their level. We match them with, our, with um, gentle, tender body language. And that includes our eyes and the tone of our voice and everything. And through doing this, it helps build trust, um, which trust is our most important connecting principle. Um, we never want to put our focus on punitive and controlling response because that only feeds a child's mistrust 
and increases their fear and that um, is not helpful when we're seeking to repair trauma. Um, next we talk about empowering principles and again I'm just wanted to go back over them so that we make sure we don't miss them. Empowering principles are designed to meet the physical needs. We first focused on the emotional. So now we talk about sensory regulation, nutrition, hydration. Incredibly important. Did you know that when the cortisol that is released in our body, it increases the metabolism of our glucose? Now what does that mean? I had a parent call me this week and said, my child just ate and then had a horrific meltdown. And then he was screaming that he was hungry. He was hungry. He was hungry. And I said, you just ate. I, he said, I don't understand how he could be hungry. Do you think he's just wanting to eat too much? And I said, I know what I think is he's depleted his level of glucose, his blood sugar level, and now he's used all that up. I mean, how many of us, that adrenaline starts pumping and all of a sudden, we're incredibly thirsty. All of a sudden, we're incredibly hungry and we're shaky. And we've got to remember all of these things are taking place within our very um, incredibly um, created body. And um, God had a reason for all of these parts in our body. And it just amazes me how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So sensory regulation, um, we'll look to that a little later on. I'm just trying to touch some highlights right now. Um, we want to also, we want to strive to be aware of environmental issues such as overstimulation. Um, if any of you have worked with children on the spectrum, a child who has gone through intense and experienced intense trauma, these sensory levels and, and sensitivities can be all that of the same as what you would, how you would serve a child on the spectrum. Lights can be too bright and cause problems. Um, sound, noises, smells. There was a period in my life that I did not want to walk in a room if an egg was being cooked. It literally made me sick to my stomach. And for the longest time people didn't understand. There was a certain lotion that if someone in our area and in the group of women, um, it was Jergens, the, old, the good old Jergens that everybody used to wear, I couldn't handle it. Um, once I was being forced to hold somebody's hand that had it on, and I couldn't do it. And what we need to remember is that's a key thing that we need to remember too. Oftentimes with our children, in their behaviors, it's not that they won't do something. It's that they what? Can't. They can't. And they are not going to be able to stand there and explain to you all the pieces. I can't hold that woman's hand because that smell reminds me of an offender. They can't stand there and tell you all of these things. They may not even realize at that moment what that trigger is. But we have to be, we have to be so intentional to learn and to, to pause. At my house, I just take pause. I take a moment. Lord, what am I forgetting? I just pray. And I give full attention. And we have, to be in, we have to be investigators. We have to ask the questions. What happened? What could be feeding this? And that comes after um, we also address with a child, you know, what do you need? And we're going to talk about that. Um, let me get back down here to my part. So sensitivity, consistency, availability, presence. Um, jump down to the empowering, sorry I lost my place, 
Um, so such as lights, noises, smells, all those things can be triggers and trigger behavior um, that leave caretakers baffled. Um, have you ever had a child that in one second they were just fine and the next second they're not? Well, in that moment, something, the downstairs brain, has forced that amygdala and has hijacked the upstairs brain, and they no longer even can rationalize what's going on and why that circumstance is feeding all of this. Our overall goal of, corre of um, correcting principles is to help guide a child through the day-to-day -day strategies by correcting fear-based behaviors. That's our main goal, is to help them recognize it to help them correct it and how we're going to do that is as we talk a little further is regulating which it's very difficult for a child to do on their own until they've learned how to do that so we get to partner with them and help them co-regulate again helping that brain become integrated again um, we get to um, help a child by regulating their emotions we get to help them tell their stories and we get to help them give a voice. Many of these children have had very little say in what happens in their life. They have become victims not because of anything they've done. And so what, when we talk about connect and empowerment, um, what is very empowering to a child is by giving voice that they are seen and heard. Um, we do different, we have different strategies that we can do to work with them to implement these principles. Connection, play, and child-led play is one of the best things that you can do. Why do you think child-led play is so important? Gives them choice. Gives them a choice, so it's empowering. Mm -hmm. speak through their play or express themselves. Right. Play therapy, art therapy, music therapy are all incredible ways that we are learning in this, you know, last um, decade of how important it is. Not every child can, I have one child that cannot verbally tell you what is going on, but if you get a pencil and a paper in front of them, they can draw it out and then they can tell me the pieces and I'm able to pull it together. Um, and so child-led play. It also, what are we working to do? We're working to repair the brain. So what do they have to use in child-led play? Imagination. Imagination. So we are helping rebuild and, and redesign um, all, and giving them the freedom to do that. We're also just letting them know it's safe. Felt safety is one of the most important things that we can give to our children when we are seeking to nurture them because trust and safety is what most of these kids need. We'll talk about it a little later. We can love all day, and yes, we're called to love and we must love, but trust is the number one key for the healing for these kiddos. Um, and then we want them helping kids identify and communicate emotions and giving outlets. Um, and we're gonna talk a little bit about those outlets in our next, in our next session. Um, we're going to talk about connecting and redirecting and helping regulate, co-regulate, and how compromises can be um, one of the key things that, that brings, um, that, def that um, de-escalates the situation when we work on, um, when we use compromise. Um, what I want to remind us as we are talking about our kiddos with the big emotions and the lack of the ability for logic and reasoning, 
Um, we want to connect and redirect. We never want to command and demand. It will not work. Connect and redirect, not command and demand. And we want to name it, help them identify what's going on, and not deny and dismiss it. The last thing that a child needs you to do when they are extremely afraid is, oh, it'll be okay, let's go over here and watch this movie. They need to understand what they're feeling, and we need to acknowledge that they're feeling it, and then we need to help them see, it's okay, there's, there's nothing to be afraid of right now, you're safe, and we can now move to the next thing. One thing when we talk about what the, what the um, toxic stress and trauma does to our brains is you saw where it can cause um, deficiencies. We need to give these kiddos extra time, extra seconds, and extra smiles. Eight of my children have mild to moderate special needs, and one of the greatest lessons that they have reminded me of even what I needed because how this fear affected me was um, it, it caused, in, just almost would be paralyzing in the moment of being able to um, answer questions on the spot and things like that of, and processing. Processing delays are so real with these children and that's what we have to understand. A lot of times we jump to, well they're just not answering my question and they're being defiant or they're being stubborn. Even my child with Down syndrome, that's the go-to for a lot of people. Oh well they have, a, they have a tendency to be stubborn. They do. But what I've learned is they just need extra seconds and extra smiles why they process and tell me what they need and what they're and what they are looking for so um, I'm trying to decide where to where to stop but I'm gonna stop so far what we've talked about and when we come back we're gonna jump into connecting and empowerment and some practical things that we can do um, when with the child a child that's um, we're gonna see a video on ideal response leveling our, our reaction to their behavior, um, things like that, um, tangible resources that we can use. But what we talked about right now, questions or things that we saw or said that need to be repeated, or I know it's a lot. I warned you in the beginning, this is a lot to cram in, but, um, and normally you don't have to listen to me talk all the time. Phil and I usually divide this up, but, um, to be able to, to kind of um, piece in bits of my story with it, um, we're doing it. I have a question about medications because by being in a developmental disability preschool, I'm on the bus, but I see kids that I know on different medications and stuff. How much does that suppress or interrupt the cortisol and change? I don't agree with medications. Grandson on medication for something, and it's like he just needed consistency. Yeah. And I, I just, how much does that affect the ability to get to these kids? Does it interrupt and delay the effectiveness of what you're talking about? I think again, um, it can cause some delay in the processing or response, um, you know, due to some of the medications um, that that are used. Um, 
I can't say rather I think that it you know cause that the I still believe these can be fully effective with children that are on medication and so forth um, because here's the thing and I'll tell you you know I have I have a child on medication but she not only has ADD but she had traumatic brain injury and so in order to help um, her mind was just, you know, there were just all these pieces of these puzzles up here and just thoughts that were scattered and she couldn't focus. And she will tell me once she takes the medicine, she can focus on something. And so we use these same strategies with her um, as we've walked through healing with her. And so, yeah, I think a medical doctor would probably have to answer that more, um, much more knowledgeable than I. But... I have seen sometimes that the schools tend to push parents into putting medication into their life when maybe other strategies would work just as well because the school doesn't want to have to deal with them. Well, and that's sad. I definitely agree with um, that we have other strategies that we can use and even ones that I would recommend, you know, to maybe try at first. I also know that sometimes, depending on the de level of damage that a child has endured, that sometimes we have to get them to a place to where they can be able to hear and process what we're trying to teach them. So um, I always recommend to advocate for our children. I always, um, not only as parents, but as educators and ministry leaders, we have to educate, I mean, we have to advocate for them. But um, those are just conversations that, you know, need to, you need to have and, and, and talk with them. Get your, um, get your educator and your doctors talking. And if you have a counselor involved, um, you know, of all having those good conversations about the best way to help your child or the child that we're discussing. Okay, well, I'll tell you what um, we'll do. We'll just, um, let me just pray for us um, as we walk out, and um, we'll get a few extra seconds and um, then jump back in when we come back in. Father, I'm just grateful for this time today. I'm grateful, Lord, for your um, making this available and for the divine appointments that you have here today, Lord. It's by no mistake that we're here. And, Lord, I'm just grateful, beyond grateful, that there is with you, there is grace, there is hope, and there is healing. And, um, Lord, for a child where um, there was no hopelessness, um, hope became hope came on the horizon and um, you have just done more than could ever be imagined or dreamt or asked for in my life and I just pray that as we talk about all of these heavy things that we are reminded that there's hope in Jesus and that it's going to take time and consistency Lord but with you and um, with you your love through us Jesus we can make a difference and tenaciously fighting for one child can impact not only the future but generations to come so Lord guide us and direct us I pray thank you for your faithfulness amen Can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you have a way of, or a list of,
list of people that can come. I work at a preschool, child Christian preschool, child care. We have school-aged kids out for school and stuff. Um, most of them have been through trauma. Um, most of them were single family. Most of them were in protective child care. Um, and once a month or once every quarter, I need to have like a speaker come in and address different questions, you know, things. Do you, does your facility supply somebody and can you tell me, you know, like what they charge to do that? Um, yeah, as far now. Now, something like, you know, very simplified version or whatever. Very simplified. Um, I mean, that'd be something I could even help you with. Um, okay. It, um, but there, I have a couple of other um, contacts that we have. Actually go into the homes with um, families that are struggling. Um, she's also a, tra a trauma-informed instructor. I don't know what her charge is or anything like that, but something as simple as like that, I mean, I'd be, you know, happy to. If I couldn't do it, then help you find somebody Okay. Um, I can get um, in contact with you through the session. Yes. Or and you have a card. Or I have two cards on me. Again, you can take a picture. <laughs> I can do take that. A picture, I can and do I will. That. Um, I'll get that for you here okay. in just a minute. All right. Thank Remind you. Remind me. Okay. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know if it was yet, so sorry. I think she was. It don't matter. You know, you were saying about getting down to his level mm -hmm. and, you know, about doing different things. Puppets, you know, getting down to Huh? Puppets. Very good. Yeah. And they use that oftentimes in, um, oh, yeah. They use that oftentimes in um, therapy, puppets and puppet play. Yeah. I got a full-body puppet. Like oh, yeah. That that's an incredible way to implement these things. Yeah. While she's looking at the picture, uh, if it's not coming in. Say again? You said something about having wires. Oh, um. You take pictures of her? Yep, I can get those out and have them ready for you. You got a picture of them? Oh, how cool! I always think that stuff is awesome. I mean, she's. You put your hand up there, and you know, she could be six foot, and she could be, you know, more down to your, down to the level. But I get, this one has green eyes, but I have blue eyes. Oh, that's awesome! I love that. That's a great way that. Um, but yeah, just move it over. You can pick it up, take it, whatever you want to do. Wow. The, uh, the stress thing? Yeah, um, that's the, and I have another one. I'm trying to take a picture of it. I might could ask um, Paris if there, there's one, if you want to take a picture of it. Yeah. Um, I might could ask Paris if we could get some more copies. Oh, yeah. But, um, I'm going to put these here so I don't forget to dig them out. <laughs> There's so much jumping back and forth trying to... Sorry about that. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to be able to Yes, same. Yeah. I'm so glad you could. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a passion of mine yeah. that can help, especially those yeah. who are you know, trying so hard and right. want to make a difference. So. Mm -hmm. And congratulations, and I saw you did your thing okay. last night on the oh, yeah. street. <laughs> hey, I think that kind of stuff is awesome. Yeah, just a little thing I did for... Um,
children's ministry, which I'm not really doing it at a church or anything now, but like I volunteer for some. But anyhow, like to help church plants and stuff, like at least I know to got you know what resources there are in them. So it's yeah. good. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. So. I am so glad you could do both classes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I asked. Like, I thought in my head I was thinking I had you asked you no, to, but then I was thinking, oh no. Told me in the beginning, he's like, yeah, you're, she's got me doing St. families and you're doing the trauma piece. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, am I doing two? But honestly, yeah. it gives more time. Yeah. Know, especially to be able to share a little more about personal. Yeah. Because, you know, Phil and I, we've been moving through yeah. and we do the. Right. Um, and we do it. And we still condense it yeah. um, with a lot more stuff. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the stuff that's focusing. But right. as long as we get the highlights and give yeah. them great, you know, yeah. excuse me, great ways to connect and great ways to you know, educate. Yeah. Did you have it something else? Oh, uh, yeah. I was just uh, wondering, what was the the picture of the hand? Yeah. Yes. What was that? Like the title of that? Um, For some reason, I... Yeah. Yes. It's called the hand model okay, of the brain, yeah. Yeah, and you can take <laughs> if which it, whatever it takes a better picture. My brain is not working that well today. You know what? And you know we we talk about stress, and we talk about I can just if I full transparency. We've had it's been an extremely stressful week. We have had some very. Um, there's just been some sick, not in our family, but with loved ones, and so it has just been a week. And well, so I was night like, night Lord, night help my hours thoughts. Because yeah. I kept thinking, oh, it's time to get up, and it's like another hour went by, like, really? <laughs> and I had to get up at 60 ball, 5 30 this morning to oh. come down. Where are you from? Uh, New Philly. Okay, yeah. So it's okay, it's like two hours to get down oh, here. Oh, mercy. So you did have like, a drive. We're all in the car, like, Tired. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody talked for like the first half hour. Yeah. I was wondering if, real quick before the next session, if I could make an announcement about the yes. Summit. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that exciting that it's so close? Yes. I'm, so I'm wondering excited. if it's at Beth's church. I'm it's just trying at to. the vineyard. I don't know. I think that is Beth Gutenberg's church. I think. Okay. Don't quote yeah. me on that. Uh-huh. But they talked to me a couple times, like, you know, hey, what's down in that area, you know? So I was like, I'm thrilled because the weekend that it falls in, mm-hmm. I'm going. Yeah, I've got two or three no, speaking. No, now the thing I'm finally opening, yeah. and that just made it so easy for me. Like, oh, good! No flying, so no yeah. traveling. Right. So, yep. Yeah. I know. Absolutely. I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to yes. get as many people there as I can from Ohio. <laughs> yes. Please do because um, I am. Oh. Oh. Really? You were in the same place? Yeah. My uh, slide presentation yeah. did not work we the way it's supposed to, so that caused. And I tell you what, I, t- I was doing a class earlier today, and I said that's the most stressful thing for me is the technology part because if something goes wrong, I don't know how to fix it. You know? I know. I'm like, I get so flustered. I'm just like, I am not. <laughs> like when your computer shuts down, what is that called? Where you change the ma- Yeah. I don't know how to do that. I forgot to change mine. But see, I normally have people who are helping me. Yeah. And when when I had to work yesterday. On trying to just to get even this, yeah. Um, but you saying that I was like, is it screen lock? Oh, it might be. Um, 
Because uh, it keeps shutting down on me and I keep having to open it up. Children and families. And so I wanted to just make you aware of something that's really, really great. Um, it's uh, the CAFO Summit that's coming up. Does anybody know uh, what CAFO is or have you had experience with CAFO? Oh my goodness. Well, I've got to tell you about this. CAFO stands for Christian Alliance for Orphans. And uh, they have so many great, great resources for working with vulnerable children. And so they work with um, dealing with orphan care ministry overseas as well as here in America with our foster care system. So they have just tons of resources. You go to CAFO.org and there's tons of resources. But they are having a conference coming up in September. It's September 15th, I think, through the 17th. It's on the card here. And um, they usually have people from all over the world that attend this. I mean, thousands and thousands of people. But this year, because of COVID, it's just going to be the people in the United States and the um, people outside the United States are having to zoom in. But you can go to this conference. They have so many wonderful, wonderful workshops. They have workshops on trauma care. They have all kinds of workshops. And if you are a social worker or if you are a foster parent, you can get continuing education hours um, for the classes. So uh, it's just a really, really great, great resource. It's a, a good organization that gives lots of um, biblical and just godly resources uh, for working with vulnerable children. So I just wanted to give you that information. Thanks. Yes. And I just want to reiterate, I've been a part of CAFO since the second year they um, started meeting and they've just been a, another part of my family. They've also been a part of my own continuing education. So um, it was actually at CAFO where I had the privilege to meet um, the late Dr. Karen Purvis and um, she actually poured into my own life and um, was just such such an example so I'm so grateful for her so thank you Paris for doing that well as we um, as we come back I want to just um, start with two things um, I shared a little bit of my story in the first do we have any newcomers that absolutely do not know where we are okay I like to ask because I've been that newcomer before but um, I've shared a little bit of my story, both as former foster youth and as a parent um, to children from hard places. Um, but what I've learned as um, the Lord has strategically um, and divinely brought each and every one of our children into our home and into our care is first and foremost that um, we get to do this. We get to do this. Um, I deliberately brought my cup. My dear friend made this cup for me. My dear friend that forgot how little my hands are. Um, but um, I keep this in my kitchen and it's right next to my cup that says Jesus and coffee every day. And amen. <laughs> um, some of you are thinking I need some coffee right now, right? Um, but I keep this there to remind me every day, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, that I get to do this. God has invited me 
into sacred spaces. We have the privilege and the honor to be beacons of hope. That child that, know, that, that you know whose family life was not happy, a picture of happiness and with no hope, well, God brought hope through healing. And just as my prayer said, aren't you grateful that through Jesus and through willing vessels like yourself, that there can be grace, hope, and healing found for us and for those that we love. So um, just want to remind us of that, um, that God has invited... Oh, my phone now will quit cutting off. Um, that God has invited us into this. Um, but So we talked um, about our brain and about trauma. Let's just give me three quick. The biggest thing that stuck out stood out to you um, over what we talked about in the first part. Just yell it out. All the damage is still reversible. Yeah. Isn't that a praise? Who else? Trust is essential. Trust is essential, yes. And we also call that building felt safety, which we're going to talk about that more. Who else? I've always heard of left or left and right brain, but I've never heard of upstairs downstairs. And it all, and the importance of it all working together, right? Yeah. Um, just so key to all of this. Um, okay. So the next part um, that we want to talk about is um, in ministry and in education and in parents and so forth. We talked about the importance of advocating for our children or the children that we are caring for. Um, it's just, um, it's so critical. And what I want to remind us is a lot of times when we talk about trauma, people's go-to is what is the most common, abuse and neglect, correct? But what we need to remember is, is it's not just isolated to just abuse and neglect. In our, um, in our, our role through Safe Families, we, um, we host children whose parents maybe are going through homelessness or who are uh, um, going through a, an addiction recovery. Um, but so that, or it could just be the homelessness of a parent that lost a job. But maybe for just survival and trying to make ends meet and moving from, you know, home to home, the chaos that is created, that's trauma. A house fire that happened 20 years ago in, in someone's life created a trauma. A divorce, that's one of the ones that we see so often now. Um, all of these impact the brain through um, toxic stress that our body um, has endured. So it's so important that we advocate. It's so important that we educate, and that's why I'm so grateful you're here today. Um, and then we're going to talk more, but it's so important that we exercise and increase empathy, our empathy in us towards the child or towards the person that we are serving, and also um, helping that child um, understand the importance of empathy and, and so forth. Um, and then be, to be equipped with effective tools, which is what um, you know, we're seeking to do. Um, part of that empathy piece is we want to build compassion. Just like Jesus said in Matthew, you know, he went into the crowd and he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion, um, as one of the translations says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We get the honor, we get the privilege to come along and shepherd people through this healing process. And um, 
and he tells us, you know, likewise go and do as I've done for you. And um, so, and we just, I want to remind us too that um, you've heard the saying, and I forget how it goes, but something like we may be the only Bible that someone sees. Um, it's so important um, as we are walking through with these people that God has put in our path and entrusted that we're reminded of that grace and that mercy and that hope and the love that we extend. It's a tangible grace that we're extending to these lives. Um, we get to be the vessels, the conduits of His love and His mercy. And some of these children, some of these people that come into our care have never experienced that. And I think for us that come from um, you know, or, or live in, in with less, <laughs> you know, your A score is low and you've had less experience, I think sometimes we forget that. That a calm word, uh, I'm going to pick on, I'm going to pick on my man, but, you know, a, a tall, towering, you know, man coming up to a child and giving a kind, gentle response, that may be the first time they've ever experienced that. It's true for the women too. But, um, it's just we have to remind ourselves of this as we're walking through. So we talked about the integration, and real briefly I want to go through this section, and then we're going to jump into some connection and then some practical and tangible things that we can do. But just to kind of, and I'm so sorry, I keep standing in front of that. Um, just for some, um, some examples um, of the downstairs and upstairs, it's all about exercising our upstairs part of the brain, right? of the logic and reasoning and, and everything. So making sound decision making is something that may not come easy for this child or this person. And so if we give simple choices for younger children um, and then more challenging ones um, as a result, you know, as they get older, but help them putting the piece, piece, pieces of the puzzle together. In other words, not doing everything for them but helping them learn how to make sound reasoning, um, problem solving, all of those things um, help. Controlling emotions and the body, this is exactly um, what we talk about when we're talking about regulation and co-regulation. And um, I'm going to jump into that in just a minute um, of some practical ways that we can work to help a child who's about to flip their lid and, and everything and we're going to watch a video. Um, Self-understanding, helping the child understand why do you think you made that choice? Well nine times out of ten that child's answer is going to be, I don't know. And guess what? They may really not know. And we have to remember too that behind every behavior there is a what? Every behavior there is a need. They are trying to communicate. Either their body is communicating it, subconsciously they're, they're communicating, but there's a need behind every behavior. And so we, that's where we have to become the investigators and try to figure it out. And so as a child that has not flipped their lid, but this is escalating um, in their behavior, and we can say, hey buddy, why do you think you made that choice? I don't know. Okay, well if you go back, because we do redos, and redos are so important because it builds muscle memory. So um, my son, he had, we had a fun redo last night. He was frustrated with um, Alexa because Alexa would not give him the answer that he wanted. And after the fourth time, he goes, Alexa, you're stupid. Well, we don't use the word stupid in our house, and I'll tell you really one. I just think that it's not necessary. 
And did I mention I have eight special named children, four of which have um, Down syndrome, one with autism, and a list of others. And so we don't use the word stupid in our home. Now we can call, you know, that stupid machine, but not, you know, but we don't make it a habit. And so I was like, oh, buddy, you want to do that again? And he goes, okay, Alexa, you're so smart. <laughs> so it was just a fun redo. And we make them fun. Um, even with my kids, as they get older, we do rewind and redo. So if they do something, you know, again, muscle memory, I'll go, uh, 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 let's try that again. Rewind and redo. So we'll go, and then they'll redo it. Make it fun. It's silly, but what did they just do? They physically did. And we need to demonstrate to them what we want them to do. We can't assume they know. Do you know one of the biggest challenges when you move from home to home and through foster care? As you go into a new home, you know that every home does not do things the same. How appalling, right? <laughs> but some people, they do the toilet paper on the top, and some people do it <coughs> wrong on the bottom. <laughs> some people put the cups way over here when the dishwasher's right here, right? Um, and the rules and the expectations are all different. So um, we'll talk about that, too, in a few minutes. But we've got to... We, we've got to remember that um, we've we've got to we've got to align things for the kids, and we've got to understand that they we can't assume that they know what we want them to do. We've got to demonstrate it and show them how to do it. Um, then self understanding. What made you do that choice? Um, what made you feel that way? What um, what do you not like? Um, about the situation. A child takes a toy. Nobody's playing with the toy, but a child goes over and takes the toy. Well, the other child over there that's not playing with it at all becomes what? Angry. So we backtrack and we say, okay, why do you think that upset you that Sophie took that toy? You weren't playing with it. Why do you think, why do you care? So help them process these things. We can't just assume, well, you know you don't take a toy. We have to teach them. We have to um, um, lead by example and showing them how to do that. Um, morality. Give them practice by thinking through moral and ethical decisions. Um, you find the, you, another toy illustration. You find a toy on the playground that doesn't belong to anyone. What do you do? You find a $10 bill. Nobody's around. What do you do? And walk through that and talk with that through the kids helping them build that um, morality and their empathy and so forth. Now when we talk about the flipping the lid and when there is a downstairs tantrum that's going on, the key is that we want to calm them down, to de-escalate the situation and to help them regulate. And many of them cannot regulate on their own. Um, so um, it's hard for them to connect all the parts of the brain to be integrated to, to help themselves calm down. So that's why it's important for us to understand the keys for regulation. Um, I want to talk about, jump in and talk about that um, right now while we're here. So we in Safe Families, we create these different um, books to help our family coaches and our ministry leads just to give them some quick go-tos to help them. So whatever your um, area is, I would suggest you doing something similar to this. I have post-it notes 
that remind me of things when, when we're walking through a struggle with a child. I have post-it notes of my favorite verses that I need to you know, preach to myself. Um, and then I, we do rings, really quick rings that just have um, the reminders. And like on here, um, where is my coat? All right, self-co-regulating. One of the things that we use is, is an acronym for HALT. We talked about hydration, we talked about food, and we talked about the necessity of that. And when kids are flipping their lids and when they're in the middle of a tantrum and a meltdown, remember we talked about the release of the cortisol and what it does um, to the glucose metabolism. So are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? HALT, it's a quick acronym. So if a child is going through a situation and you say, what do you need? And they can't tell you and they're just looking at you crying, then this is a situation that you give them the possible answers. Okay, honey, are you hungry? No. Are you angry? No. Are you afraid? No. Are you lonely? Yes, I just wanted you to come and sit down and watch TV with me for five minutes. You have your answer, right? Okay, let's go in here and let's do a time in. We believe more in time ends because the kids, so many of our kids, have experienced so much neglect and isolation, even adults that we work with, that we want to spend time together. We're building community. So we do time ends. So even when their behavior looks, you know, completely disrespectful or whatever, after we help co-regulate and after they're able to regulate and we go, we do time in, whether that's with a few minutes um, coloring together, reading a book, um, an older child, it may be going out and shooting baskets. It may be taking a walk. Whatever it is um, that you know works with that individual child. And that word individual is key. No two children are the same. No two individuals are the same. And what works for little Johnny may not work for little Timmy at all. It's trial and error, but we've just got to continue to be, to learn and to practice and to exercise the things that we have before us. Um, Another thing for that maybe is um, a gross motor activity. Sometimes when a child is escalating, you're not going to be able to bring them down until they use up some of that adrenaline that's in them. Okay? So the best thing is to get them active first and then seek to try to calm them down so they use up and spend some of that extra energy. So get them engaged in something, running. Um, three of my kids have had punching bags. And when they need to just release some of that, they, they go down to that punching bag and they take it out on that and release it and then we can talk. Because then they've integrated, they've, calm, they've been able to calm down, release some of that and move forward. Um, we used to do the, those blow up classes, those don't last too long, so, but those are an easy one too, those, whatever those are called, you know, the, the boxer ones. Um, a trampoline is great because again, sensory input. Um, jumping right where they are. Okay, jump five times. Jumping jacks. All right, touch the ground. Let's do three sit-ups. Just get get them busy doing something. Um, we like to say dance it out and just move. Just turn up the music. Some of our kids, that they love to dance. They love music. Uh, mine and some of the ones that we serve. Um, and uh, Okay, flip, flip up the music and dance it out. Just start moving. Start wiggling and get it out. Um, there's some other ones that when you see a child that um, is getting really, starting to get really upset and they can't calm themselves down, um, I, we have a list of them and I can try to get you those if, if those are some things that would be helpful. But one of, the, one of the easiest and best ones that we use is Magic Mustache. 
magic mustache and what that does is this right here is an automatic reset for our brain for everything um, it's a pressure point in our body um, you are trying your best to talk to someone and not cry can I just tell you a little secret right here you've got a child that cannot sit still and just gets because because Sally over there will not quit clicking her pencil and quit talking and all this stuff and it drives me nuts. Teaching to do this right here on this desk. It's amazing. Um, my husband and I, um, we lost um, our child in December and as people walked through, both of us would see each other kind of standing there going like that and we knew where we were. We had to reset. We needed a new wave of, um, of um, calm and to get you know to get us through so remember that remember that exercise breathing therapy um, we have different books um, listed over here that have some breathing I can tell you the easiest one is a triangle breathe in hold it breathe out and even the kids who are um, visual let them draw their triangle as they're breathing for my special needs kids we do this but you know what we say okay it's a birthday party. Smell the pizza. Blow out the candles. Blow them hard. Get all those candles out. Smell that good, yummy pizza or whatever their favorite is. Taco, whatever. Smell it and blow it out. Key for you. That's great in the car when the traffic is about to drive you nuts. Um, breath prayers. They're just simple scripts of just saying, simple, God, I'm afraid, help. God, I'm overwhelmed. Help. Because what the most important thing that we in this community want to do is point our children to God. Um, I love teaching my children Psalm 91 so that they learn first and foremost that our great protector, our great you know, defender is Jesus Christ. And so teach them those breath prayers. They don't have to be long prayers and, and long, you know, this Lord help I'm because we want to help them recognize what they're feeling I'm afraid Lord thank you what a great day we want to teach them both right thank you Lord I aced that test but teaching them um, those breath prayers and, and calming scripts will help we talked about name it and tame it again identifying what is going on hey buddy I think that you're not really angry that she took the toy I think that you're angry about something else. What? I think something else is going on. Oh, you're hungry? All right, let's go get you a snack. While I'm talking about that, let me tell you two things. During any time that we do transitions, when you pick up a child from school, when you're switching them from one class to another or from one activity to another, if it's been a while, have some um, allergy-free, and I know it's hard right now with all this COVID and, and, and um, um, what word am I trying to say? Hands and things like that. You can't do that as easy. But have some little snacks and things that are readily available for those kiddos. Even in your, you know, uh, the snack time is great, but that child over there may not have felt comfortable at snack time and may still need, um, may need, may need some, one could need a snack to help their blood sugar, or they might need raisins or um, Skittles or fruit gummies for sensory input to help calm them down. So um, 
think of those things that are just um, that you can have readily available for them. And I told you about magic mustache. Um, there's <coughs> another part of our little thing that we have is remember redos. Don't forget in the heat of the moment. Oh my goodness, don't do that. That's our go-to so often, right? We don't want to do that. We want to say, oh, let's do that again and let them redo so that we build that muscle memory. Um, reminder that behind every behavior there is a need and that God has entrusted this child, this person right now um, in your care for this time. It's, it's an opportunity. It's a gift. Um, we want to do um, redirection strategies. So we write the word redirect. Um, we want to reduce our words. They're not going to hear a whole bunch of talk. We just want to do short snippets because then it just becomes a want, 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 like Charlie Brown, and they're not going to hear us. Um, so reduce words. Embrace their emotions. Remember, we don't want to just dismiss and, and direct. We want to embrace emotions and understand. D is describe, don't preach. Can I tell you this one? I had to learn because I just wanted to go in and tell them all the things that we needed to do, to do it differently. And I had to learn to shorten it down just to keep their attention and to be able to help them remember. Because some of our kiddos who do have focus um, challenges can only remember one to two steps at a time. One to two steps. Hey buddy, can you go out there and shut the light off and then grab that pencil? Oh, would you go get some, will you go get me a bottle of water? They're gonna forget one of those because their, their brain cannot process more than that. Um, involve your child in the discipline. Um, we're gonna watch a video, if I can get to it here. And we are now going to um, talk about the ideal response um, in a minute. I'm gonna finish my acronym here first because I'll forget, sorry. Um, what letter were we on? Oh, I. Involve your child in the, in the discipline. R is reframe a no into a yes with conditions. We want to find as many possibilities to say yes to a child as we can. Do you know that with some of these children, a no, no, you can't have another cookie. That seems so simple. No, you can't have five more minutes of screen time. But that no sets off a trigger in their brain because remember some of them have experienced neglect and no, what, what, what does that trigger? When they were abandoned, when they were neglected, when they, weren't, when they didn't receive the food, the care, the shelter, whatever it may be. It's an automatic reminder. It seems like we just told them no, but for them, it's bigger than that. Um, so find as many yeses that you can um, and compromise. Find ways to compromise with your child. I think um, Dr. Purvis talks about this in her video, but find as many possibilities to compromise. You know what? You cannot watch another movie tonight, but what you can do is you can watch a three-minute video on your favorite whatever. Um, we can't read another book tonight, but I tell you what, tomorrow night, let's start five minutes early and we'll read two books, okay? Um, I'll give you a compromise. In our house, if the kiddos don't like necessarily what we're feeding them, we don't do food wars because too many, too many things revolve around food with children who have been through immense trauma. So in our house, if you don't like um, 
what I'm serving, they have the, the freedom. They don't even have to ask. They just go and they make a peanut butter sandwich. And they can do that. That's always a compromise that they can have. Not peanut butter and jelly, because they might always go for the PB&J with little ones. But I give them, you know, I give them, I make a compromise. I give them empowering, a way to connect, and a way to, um, to make choices. Um, e, emphasize the positive. We get that. And C, um, creativity approach, creatively approach the situation. Just look for the ways that you can make moments teachable or that you can um, take a moment and build that, that child up. Um, so important. And then um, teach mindset tools, which we've kind of addressed on. For our kiddos that can't tell us exactly how we're feeling, you've been to the doctor, how are you feeling, and you point. These are great to have in your classroom, have in, you know, whether it's at church, school, even in your house. Um, we keep these out there and then this is a feelings wheel that we keep handy and they can go down they've done this with their counselors and they can find you know what they think they're feeling you know my we kept thinking that my child was concerned about one thing and it turns out it had nothing to do with anything what we thought it was related to it was just confusion he was confused about a situation he wasn't being disrespectful he wasn't being filled with anxiety. He was just confused. So these kind of help that name it and tame it um, part here. All right, I want to, I really do want to get to this video. So, um, not this one. Go back. Ah, we'll get there. What's the saying, slowly but surely? All right. Tell you what, we're just going to do two videos back to back so we can oh, leave what the you lights need, on. Liberty Mutual. Since somebody grabbed those lights for me. I just said that. This is a banana. This is an apple. This is an orange. Uh, I promise this apple. to stop crying. 
but tragically we know from research that's started by medical doctors and pediatricians here in this country in the 50s that if you don't respond to a baby's cry within 30 to 60 days they stop crying and so the gift that we want every parent to give every child is their voice for the little one it's a whimper or a cry for the toddler it may sound different. And for the older child that's learned to use their words, their voice may sound willful, belligerent. And so a child may say to me, give me that. And I might say, whoa, Nellie, try that again with good words because you know what? I'm listening to you. So for every age, there's going to be a different manifestation. But the very fundamental precept of a child learning that they're safe, that they're loved, that they're cared for, that there's meaning in their life even, that they can change their life by asking for their needs appropriately, is giving voice. Okay, we're just going to jump right into ideal response. It stands for immediate. Oh my word. Parents. It's the ideal response for discipline. I stands for immediate. D stands for direct. E stands for efficient. A stands for action-based. And L stands for leveled at behavior, not at the child. So ideal. I, immediate. We know that if you respond to a child's behavior, good or negative behavior, within three seconds they will learn. So when the child does something good and you say, wow, that was nice using good your words, or that was such a good show and respect, or wow, I love it when you look at me with those beautiful blue eyes. When we do that within three seconds, or when a child needs to be redirected and they say something harsh and we say, well, let's try it again. If we say it immediately, we know for brain research, a child will learn. If we do it direct, we ask parents to be within three feet of your children. That's where I could reach out and touch my child. So direct means that when I talk to my child and I say, tell me about your day, I'm going to be my body poised towards their body and my eyes and my full attention to them. I am fully present to that child and I'm asking them to be present to me. My eyes are there for them. I might reach and touch their shoulder. That child's going to connect to me. Also, when I need to redirect a child or correct a child or even discipline a child, I must say, give me two hands. Now, do you want to try that with respect? I'm not going to lob words at the child. Hey, go make your bed. Hey, stop doing that. I'm going to go to the child and bring the child to myself. And I'm going to be immediate and direct. I'm going to be efficient. We have a lot of parents who are going after a mosquito with an elephant gun. So the child does something, something minor, and the parent overreacts or reacts too harshly. And so what we say is be efficient. And we actually use what we call levels of response. And so we have four levels of response. And a low-level response, the child might say, I'm not doing that. And you might say to the child, are you asking me or telling me? Oh, could I please not do that? Okay, that was good asking. So I can use playful engagement redirect a child most of the time. And then if a child moves on into, well, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to do that. And I might use choices. 
sweetheart, you've got two choices. Now, again, I'm immediate direct. You've got two choices. You can either color with the pencils or color with the crayons, but you can't use the markers. If that was what the child was saying, for example. So I might use choices. Then I might use compromises. And actually, in terms of being efficient, some parents find it's counterintuitive because something that we do, a, par a, a child might say, um, you're stupid and you're ugly and I hate you and I'm not going to the library. Or I'm not going to bed. And they've just done all this mouthy stuff. Well, they look like a pretty high challenge. I call that a level three challenge. But I might be able to meet that level three challenge without starting a nuclear race. I might be able to say, if you're asking for a compromise, try it again and give good words. And the parent will say, well, why would you give that kid that was mouthy a compromise? And I would say, because my goal is to give that child voice and to connect with them and to do shared problem solving with them. So the child might go like, Okay, can I please not go to the library? It's really boring. Well, sure, that was good using your words. Thanks for using those good words with me. In every case, I've been efficient. I haven't used force. I don't need force. I have relationship. So our, our discipline style on the ideal response is immediate, direct, efficient, action-based. We know from brain research that there's something called a sensory neuromotor loop. What it just means in common terms is if I do the thing I heard about, have a body memory for it. And so when a child does the wrong thing, they have a body memory for the wrong thing. And my goal as a person who wants to connect and empower my child, I want to give my child the body memory for the right thing. So when a child, well, if I've got something in my hand and a child grabs a pencil out of my hand, I say, whoa, stop. Put that back here now. Now my voice may change, my demeanor will change, my words get slower. I am no nonsense about this kind of behavior. I'm not permissive about bad behavior. But I have a goal to reconnect and to guide this child to empower them. And so I say to that child, put it here, now. Now I don't take it back from them. I want them to have body memory to give it to me. So I say, here, now. And if the child resists, I might wait. I'm counting to myself because I know my children are slower to respond because their brains are different. So inside I'm going, one, two, three, here, now. And so I'm slower in my voice, a little bit louder, a little bit lower in my tone. And my, and my cadence is slowed. And the child puts that in my hand. And I'll say, thank you. Now, do you want my pencil? And the child says, yes. I'll say, Give me good words and ask for it. And they'll say, Mom, can I use the pencil? Or Miss Karen, can I use the pencil? Whatever child it is. I say, of course you can. That was great asking. Here you go. Give me five. Now, that child has the, the motor memory for doing the right thing. And now, the path that was to the right thing. Now, when we start out, and I just have to be honest, I, I understand with the parents, the path to the, to the negative behavior might be an eight-lane freeway. And the path to the behavior you want might be a little machete-chopped jungle vine bridge somewhere in the dense forest. But every time my child practices with me, action-based practice with me, they chop away some more vine, and this little jungle path can also become a freeway. And the last thing in our ideal response is clearly leveled at behavior, not at the child.
So when it's over, I want three things. I want the behavior to be changed or corrected. I want the child to be more connected to me than they were before. And I want the child to be content because they succeeded. And I know that I'll be content because I helped them. I know that we are just about out of time, but I just wanted to um, show you one thing. This here is what um, the our goal is. More time connecting because we know that connection is key. And how do we get there? Building trust. Then we empower to give empowerment, and then the the smallest amount of time is correction. That is what we are striving for when we talk about um, when we talk about connecting with the, the children. Um, Kids who do not, a child without a voice will use violence, aggression, triangulation, and manipulation. They need control, and they've had very little. So when we are able to build that connection and, ha and share some of that, it is empowering and it works. Um, what we need to remember is all of this did not happen in one day to this child or to this person, and it's not going to take... It's going to take a long, long, lot longer than one day. And so we need to be patient and consistent. The other thing that I want to, um, I want to give two tips before we go is one, um, I want you to remember that as you're doing it and as you're being intentional to educate, and these are just giving you ideas of things of just, you know, wetting the surface for some of you of, of different practical ways to implement the principles we've talked about. But as you're doing it, and as you're investing in these lives, um, you know there's going to be some there's going to be some meltdowns. There's going to be some lids that are flipped. Um, there's going to be some major, um, you know, um, dysregulation and, and all of that. But what I want you to remember is, and and you feel free to take one. And I haven't touched them, um, but someone told me this a long time ago, and it's so powerful. It's a Q-tip. I'm going to take one, and it's really simple. Put it where you need to be reminded, but it stands for quit taking it personally. Remember, their, their behavior is not directed at you. It is a response to the trauma and to what they have experienced. The next tip, all pun intended, that um, I want to leave you with is this. We, whether we are parents or educators or in ministry, we have to redefine success. Success is not the way that the world views it and everything comes out hunky-dory and there's no problem because we know that's not real life. But success is faithfulness. Wherever God has asked you to serve in whatever capacity or multiple capacities, the true definition of success is just be, uh, being present, <coughs> showing up, and remaining faithful. And um, keep educating yourself. Dedicate yourself to being lifetime learners. Um, my acronym for that is to stay fast, <coughs> sorry, flexible, attentive, and teachable. We have to be lifelong learners. Um, even myself, I have been working and learning about trauma for about 13 years under studies like this, and every opportunity I get, I do exactly what you're doing. I'm in the next conference, I'm still learning and still trying to, uh, because you know what, some things I may be facing 
I may have not thought about for six months and it'll just be, you know, it'll recall something and be like, that's a great reminder. And I believe those are from the Lord too. So um, I know that um, there's so much that we did not get to touch on and, and there's so much more that we can do. But um, if you have questions, if you want some of the resources, um, I do have some of the books that we use. And um, the two books, again, that and for Dr. Karen Purvis is The Connected Child. Um, the whole brain child that one's small and simple but it just gives some direct um, like uh, situations of okay this is what you did and I'll try it this way with a child or a situation um, I will take I don't know how much time you have in between if there's somebody that has questions or whatever but as you leave um, I just want to remind you that whatever you're doing and you're learning and, and investing in a life it's worth the fight um, because investing in one makes a difference. So thank you. And uh, any questions that if you want to ask before you head out or come up? Can we take pictures of that little key ring thing? Yes, anything that I have up here. Um, that's what I, um, I have a sheet here that says, am I creating connection versus losing connection? It's a great thing to ask yourself when you're working with someone. Feel free to take copies. I'm sorry that I did not get to... Um, do um, print out copies. Behavioral redos, a reminder. Feel free to come up, any of these things. Um, I did pull out the um, ACE test if you want to get a picture of it. Um, so I have it up here. All right, thank y'all. Thank y'all. You've been great.